Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Why did God the Father create Barah Ministries? Well, he offers a place where you can get to know his son, our Lord Jesus, the Christ. There are many things the Lord wants you to know about himself, and among them is what is proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, verses 10 and 11. It says this, before me... There was no God formed, and there will be no God after me. Isaiah forty three eleven. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. The Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign. The Lord is number one. The Lord is the top. There's no one above him. Jesus Christ is God. He is a person, and he is equal to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in every way. And believing in him by faith alone gives you the free gift of eternal life. God the Father created Barah Ministries to give you a place to learn the Word of God, the Bible, which is called the inerrant canon of Scripture. And inerrant means free from error. The Bible is mistake-free without contradictions. It is the authority for truth. Think about it. The Bible predicted over 1,800 things before they happened. And if any one of those things is wrong, the Bible is false. Yet all of the Bible's predictions have come true. And that's what makes it a supernatural work, not a work that was compiled by a bunch of people uh, spouting their opinions. To detect counterfeit teaching and counterfeits to the truth, you have to know the real truth of the Word of God. Truth does not come from a man very often, but it always comes from God. He is the source of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All scripture is God-breathed. God breathes the things to write into the writers of scripture. And scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.17, so that the man of God might become mature, totally equipped for every good work. At Barah Ministries, you'll learn the word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. The Bible is what God says. Religion is what man says. God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. His strategy against the human race is religion. He is a deceiver who hates everyone in the world, including you and me. Here's what the Lord has to say about the deceiver and about those who follow him. 
false teachers who sell their deceptions to us. John chapter 8, verse 44 says this, You who are unbelieving are of your father the devil. That dispels the notion that everyone is a child of God, and that's what everyone in religion wants you to think. Oh, we're all child, children of God. We're all going to go to heaven. Oh, there really is no hell. The Bible says exactly opposite. You who are unbelieving are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, a soul murderer. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his very nature because he is a liar. And he is the one who keeps on fathering lies. And the great thing about Satan is there is never a need to be confused. Everything he sponsors is a lie. So don't ever believe anything that this liar proposes. Today's Bible lesson, how can you escape the bondage of religion? How can you escape the bondage of religion? Well, there's general agreement that those who lie are deceptive, manipulative, and selfish. And there's nothing worse than lying about God because it has eternal negative consequences for those who promote the lies and for those who believe the lies. In today's lesson, you'll learn the easy way to spot the lies of false teachers and their false teaching about God, about the gospel message, and about the word of God so that you can avoid the bondage of religion's pervasive hold on the minds of mankind. Now, as I as I did this lesson this week, for me, it was just, yeah, I'm looking forward to teaching you the next in- increment in learning Colossians. And so the natural thing to do, since we're coming to the end of that lesson, would be to teach you about some false teaching and some false teachers that really exist. And uh, so I dug into that and wanted to jump off a bridge doing it because the worst thing you can do is start examining religions and comparing them to Scripture because it's just painful. It's so convoluted and so confusing. But here's the thing that really happened. What really happened is I started to realize there are 1.3 billion Roman Catholics. There are 1.8 billion people who are... Muslims who study Islam, there are 1.1 billion people who are Hindu, who believe there are 8,000 gods. There are 150 million atheists. There are 16 million people involved in the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. So add that up. There's 7 billion people in the world, and I didn't even go deep on this, and more than half of them don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which has eternal consequences. I can't even begin to describe the amount of sadness that that, that hit my soul because of that. That's brutal. Yet that's the reality. So today, I'm going to give, have some candid discussions with you about two of those religions. <laughs> Anytime you tell the truth 
about someone today, you're instantly bagging on them. No, you're not. My job is to equip you with how to think, and specifically about spiritual matters. So this isn't bagging on anybody. This is the truth, and then you get to make the decisions, and you get to be equipped with going deeper into this to find out if what I'm saying is true, because that's what you should always do. You should never take my word for anything. You should take whatever I say and compare it to Scripture. Right here. Because this is the absolute truth. And if you go in there and there's something that I say that contradicts that, this is right, not me. But this one will be sobering for you. Because there's a lot of fault there are a lot of false teachers and there's a lot of false teaching. And you have to be able to discern it. And today you're gonna learn how to do that. All right, let's hear some music. What a privilege to have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. And one of our great gifts from God is the chance to be intimate with him. Psalm 37, verse 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When knowing the Lord is your delight, he'll be delighted to let you get to know him through the study of his word. Well, here's June Murphy singing about intimacy with the Lord and his word with a bossa nova beat in her song, Your Word Takes Me.
Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth. Really? Any good? Yay. I hate mic problems. Let us pray. 
We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us a way to spot false teachers and false teaching so that we are not led astray by their deceptions. Thank you for giving us the ability to examine our investment in teachers and their teachings to see if there's any truth in them. Thank you for giving us the strength to turn away from error and instead to seek the truth. As God the Holy Spirit teaches us today, leading us into all the truth as it was promised by our Lord, help us to remember to always count on you and your word in every situation because you and your word are the truth. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, how can you escape the bondage of religion? How can you escape the bondage of religion? Well, welcome to our guests. Fasten your seatbelts. This should be a fun ride, and we welcome you. Religion is Satan's strategy against the human race. Satan is the enemy of God, and religion is his strategy against the human race. It is his greatest deception. It's the way Satan gets people to be indifferent or antagonistic to God. And that's why so many people have turned against church. I don't don't think I have to go to church to worship God. Well, you really don't. But what is the benefit of going to church? The benefit of going to church is you get together with other believers, and some of them will treat you poorly. And then you get to practice unconditional love. But how many people have gone to church and have been hurt by somebody in church and have turned away from God instead of turning away from the church or are trying to avoid being hurt by people. I'm, I'm, I am still looking for the place where you can go to avoid being hurt by people. There's no place. So it's just really funny how we do things in the spiritual realm And a lot of the things we do actually hurts us. Some of the most wonderful people that I know are members of religion. Dear, dear friends to me. But as wonderful as they are, they are deceived. Religions house false teachers and false teaching. They offer religious rules, rituals, and man-made traditions instead of offering a relationship with the Lord that saves them. They suggest, religions suggest works-based self-righteousness to earn your way to heaven. There is nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. They claim that if you're a good person and you do good deeds, God will let you into heaven, even though his word says a completely different thing, paints a completely different picture. Christianity offers a relationship with the totally sufficient Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a relationship that saves you as a free gift that you cannot earn and that you don't deserve. A relationship beats religion now and always. Well, Paul's letter to the Colossians warns us and warned them about false teachers and false teaching. Because what always happens, as soon as you get anywhere near the truth, False teachers and false teachings and distractions come in to lead you right away from it as fast as possible. Now, if you want to know whether teaching is false about Jesus, about the Word of God, and about the gospel message of salvation, you've got to ask yourself 
three questions. Three questions will flush out the lies of religion. What are the three questions? It is, the first one is, who does the discipline say Jesus Christ is? You know, I just watched the NFL draft, and a lot of the kids were saying, well, you know, I just want to thank God. Okay, great. Well, which God? Because the God of biblical Christianity is Jesus Christ. So which God? Because there are a lot of gods. Hindus have 8,000 of them. Which one? I want to thank God. Which one? Krishna? Second question. So a more precise question. That first question is more precise. What is the attitude about Jesus Christ? What are people saying about Jesus Christ? Second question is, what is the discipline's source of truth? Because every discipline has a source of truth. So what is it? For Christians, our source of truth is the Bible. For religions, they have other sources of truth. And so you need to surface that and see what you think. And then the third thing is, what does the discipline say it takes to be saved? And that is something that You know, we'll talk about this later when we give you the gospel message, but one of the things you need to know, and I guarantee you it's not something you think about every single day when you're walking around, human beings are born physically alive and spiritually dead. And if you are spiritually dead, when you close your eyes in this life, you are going to the lake of fire, and that's just the truth. And so you don't have to believe it. You don't have to accept it. I have a friend, I was out, Uh, I was up in Las Vegas a couple of years ago with a friend. And, you know, when people are my friends, I I, I care about them deeply. And so they knew I'm a a pastor, started talking to them. And the wife said, oh, I don't believe in Satan. And I don't want to hear anything about it. Okay. All right. Well, you could pretend like Satan doesn't exist if you want to. You don't have to look at it. Because how many times in your life during the week Do you come in contact with anything that says anything like that? You don't, because people are soft today. People don't, people aren't candid today. Everything is glossed over. Everything is surface, but it doesn't get to the depth. And, you know, when you do a lesson like this, you have to go down into the depth of it. Oh, it's painful. So if you're alive, you have the option to be saved or not to be saved. And that's something that should be very important to you because this life is what, 80 years? Average woman lives to be 77, average man 72. I don't even know what that's about. Like, why do we go out early? What are, they, what are women doing differently that keeps them around for the extra five years? Amen? <laughs> I want to know. Tell me. <laughs> Somebody said a lot. (laughs) All right, so those are the three questions that will help you debunk a religion. So what are the answers? Jesus Christ is God or he is not? There's no middle ground. It's either yes or no. The Bible is the truth or it is not. There's no middle ground. And being saved is by grace, free gift, or by your works. It's that simple. And people don't like that simple. They don't like black and white. They like gray. But gray is just black with a pretty dress on. It's a deception. Now, I was part of a religion for 21 years. And I was part of a cult 
for, the, for 29 years after that. So the religion was Roman Catholicism. I was on the track to be a Jesuit priest, and I don't know if you know anything about the Jesuits, but they were the secret police of the papacy. And their job it, when they were first formed was to kill anyone who had any opposition to the Pope. And so I always call the Jesuits the Marines of Priests because they are the tough guys. And I went to a Jesuit high school, and there was a really simple mandate. You will learn or we will beat you. It's that simple. And what they taught is critical thinking skills. It's an amazing group of people. But I was on the track to be a Jesuit priest. When I found the, the deception of Roman Catholicism, I transferred into a cult called Systematic Theology for 29 years. So I've spent 50 years on the wrong side of the ledger. And by teaching you how to detect counterfeits, I'm not being mean. I'm sharing my experience with you so that you can then decide how you want to handle your own investigation of what's true and what's not. And not only in the spiritual realm, but in every realm. You ought to always be looking to see if what you're getting involved in is a deception. You want to lose weight. And Red Mountain Weight Loss says, if you take this pill for 30 days, you're going to lose 15 pounds. That's either true or it's not. And you're going to be putting money down. You ought to be able to investigate whether that's a deception or not. So twice, God helped me escape the bondage of religion. The first time, I just jumped out of the frying pan and back into the fire. But I feel deeply for those who are deceived by religion especially because many of them are dear, dear friends and family members. It hit me this week. If Barah Ministries had all the people who have ever claimed to be part of us in one room, it would be over 500 people. You know why most of the people have left Barah Ministries? Because I refused to lie to them. Because I was a false teacher, teaching false teaching. And when I discovered that I was, I told people, and they left. So if I had just kept teaching the lies, we'd be a megachurch, whatever the hell a megachurch is. So as we unfold the way to escape the bondage of religion, you'll be hearing about two specific religions. This puts us in a position to be criticized. I don't mind being criticized. Some may ask, why are you throwing my religion under the bus? Well, I've been there twice. Each time someone was throwing my religion under the bus, I had a choice. I could be opening, open to examining my religion, or I could be defensive. Those are the two choices. Somebody told me when I was in systematic theology, Rory, you are in a cult. No, you don't understand. When I was sitting up here this morning, I was, I was thinking about one of the doctrines that was taught in systematic theology. And we were at a conference, and this 14-year-old girl taps me on the shoulder, and she says, you know, this, this doctrine rebound seems really stupid to me. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, first of all, it's based on one verse. And then it seems like when you teach, you're trying to connect it to all these other verses. But when I look at the context of it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so, you know, you know I all right, honey, <laughs> how old are you, 14? You know, and, and you go into this defensive, 
put the other person down kind of thing. When I finally found out that that was false, I sought her out and apologized to her. Because she was dead on, but she was 14. You know, what do 14-year-olds know? If you're being a, a lot. If you're being arrogant, they don't know much. But I've learned more from 5-year-olds than I have from 50-year-olds a lot of times. So, <laughs> so, you don't ever know where God's going to bring the wisdom from. You don't ever know what package the wisdom's going to come from. So, people told me I was in a cult, and, you know, the defensiveness comes up. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But then I went on online and I said, well, why don't I see what people are saying that is negative about systematic theology? And it was cult, 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 cult. And they were criticizing the pastor. And I just looked at it and I said, wow, that's really harsh. I'm offended. <laughs> they were, those were fighting words. Because, why? Because when you invest in something, and somebody calls your baby ugly, you want to fight. Your first response isn't, well, wait, let me investigate. It's always, let me protect. So a couple of times I chose to be open. And each time I chose to be open, it surfaced the critical lies of the discipline. And every discipline that has lies in it have a few critical lies that are hidden by a lot of truth. If I'm going to lie to you, 95% of what I'm telling you is going to be true so that you don't ever detect the lie. And that's what con, a con game is. It gains your confidence with the truth, but there's a lie underneath. So when I found out that I had allowed myself to deceive, I cried. And cried is, is mild. That's mild. I sobbed for days curled up in the fetal position on the floor with my thumb in my mouth, sobbing that I hadn't seen it. How could I let that happen? How could I invest so much time and so much effort into something that was a complete lie? Well, it was easy. All I had to do was ignore the truth. That's all you have to do to allow yourself to, to, to be lied to. Just ignore the truth. Well, each religion has doctrine. And typically, the doctrines are published. By examining the doctrines and comparing them to the Bible and making an assessment, you can surface the truth if you want to know it. So let's begin by answering the three questions for Barah Ministries. And then we'll go on to look at a couple of religions. So who do we say Jesus Christ is? Well, at the beginning of every lesson, we answer the question by taking you on a tour of what the Bible has to say about the Lord. Jesus Christ is God. He is a person. He is equal to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in every way. They have the exact same essence, one God in three separate and distinct persons, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal. And by believing in him through investing your faith in him alone, with no works, please, you can be saved. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17 say this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that's one of the many titles for Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. 
but he's also the son of man. Who do people say that the son of man is? Matthew 16, 14. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist. And others say you're Elijah. And still others say you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Okay, he set them up. Now here's the key question. Matthew 16, 15. Jesus said to them, who do you say I am? Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the son of the living God and father. Matthew 16, 17, Jesus said to Simon Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Barjona means son of Jonah. Bar is son, Jonah is Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood, human beings, did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven revealed this to you. So the most of the disciples, 11 of them, of the 12, knew exactly who they were walking around with. They were walking around with the God-man, Jesus Christ. What is Barah ministry's source of truth? It's the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say this, Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of any person's own private interpretation. 2 Peter 1.21, And no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will, but men directed from the source, God the Holy Spirit, the one who leads us into all the truth, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is called the mind of Christ. The Bible is called an instruction set for truth. And it is the exact thinking of the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does the Barah ministry say it takes to be saved? John chapter 3, verse 36 sums it up really well. It's an, an, an invitation and a warning. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment, not as a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. The resurrection life is eternal life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So how do you get? How do you end up in the lake of fire? Really simple. Just reject a relationship with Christ. It's not because of your sins. Jesus Christ paid for those at the cross. Jesus Christ is God. The Bible is the source of truth. And we are saved by placing our confidence in him to save us. It's pretty simple. That's what we think. And, and is it what we believe? Yes. But more importantly than that, it's what we think is the truth. Because our beliefs are only valuable to the degree that they align with the absolute truth. And there is an absolute truth. Today's world, everything is subjective and everything is relative. Well, if there's subjective, then there's objective. If there's relative, then there's absolute. Your choice to investigate. Now, let's take a look at how two religions answer these questions. And I have to admit something. So you will know how to consider the information you're about to hear. I have spent too much precious time in my pastoral career searching the confusion of religious documents to find the smoking guns that reveal religious deceptions. And the problem? Religions are continuously changing their doctrines to continue the deception. And it reminds me of the story about the optimist kid and the pessimist kid 
and scientists wanted to do a 30-day experiment, so they put the kids in rooms with enough food to last for 30 days. The pessimist kid, they put him in a room with all of his favorite toys. They had done research to find out what toys he liked, and they put him in a room for 30 days with all of his favorite toys. And the optimist kid, they put him in a room full of manure. They came back 30 days later, and they opened up the room where the pessimist kid was, and he was crying. And the scientist asked, why are you crying? He said, because you put me in this room with all my favorite toys, and I know you're just going to come back and take them away from me. They went over to the optimist kid's room. They opened the door, and he was completely covered head to toe in manure. And they said, what was your last 30 days like? He said, well, with all this manure in here, there must be a pony somewhere. (laughs) He was looking for the pony. That's exactly what it's like studying religion. You're sorting through a lot of manure. By the way, that joke was really funny. Can I, can I get a laugh? I mean, I, you, know, you don't have to hold the laugh until later. But <laughs> no, it wasn't a real study. It was a joke. <laughs> that would be awful to leave a little kid in a room with crap. <laughs> Although... Leaving a kid in a room with some parents is crap, but that's a whole other story. But, you know, it, it, it's just, I don't even know what I was going to say next. <laughs> God, so I'll just go on. So, what you'll see here as we study these two religions today is representative indications of what each religion believes about Jesus, about the Word, and about the Gospel. And it should be easy enough for you to go do the research yourself and find out whether this is accurate, which is exactly what you ought to do. If you want to spend a career proving these things by searching their documents, feel free. But doing that disgusts me and it tires me out. It wears me out. The study of the Bible never tires me out. All right, so let's start with Roman Catholicism, which is something I know inside and out. What, who does the discipline say Jesus Christ is? Well, a Roman Catholic telling the truth would say that we believe in Jesus Christ, but he is not enough. Many of the 1,300,000 Roman Catholics are not aware that they are worshiping a counterfeit Jesus. The Bible talks about another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. The, the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism is a counterfeit. And here is a priest describing the counterfeit Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism. Now, this priest is not just saying his opinion. This is an official position of the Roman Catholic Church that he is repeating. Here's what he says. He says, when the priest announces the words of consecration during a Mass, and those are the words that priests use when they're changing the wafer and the wine into the actual body and blood of Christ, which is what they believe. He reaches up into the heavens, brings Christ down from his throne, and places him upon our altar to be offered up again as the victim for the sins of man. It is a power greater than that of saints and angels. The priest speaks, and lo, Christ the eternal and omnipotent God bows his head in humble obedience to
to the priest's command. And there are 200,000 priests around the world this very day who are operating as if that is true, that they are more powerful than the omnipotent Christ and they can summon him to the altar anytime they want and that Christ will bow his head to them. Now, does that even sound possible? Yet that is an official Roman Catholic doctrine. False teachers always attack Jesus Christ and they seek to prove that he is not sufficient to save you. The Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism did not finish the work of salvation at the cross according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And it's funny, I told you last week that I have a cousin uh, in Chicago that I just wear out with, you know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? So as I was putting this together, I called him. And I said, hey, Harold, I want to run something by you. He said, it's not that Jesus stuff again, is it? I said, it kind of is. He said, okay, go ahead. I said, do you believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible? Or do you believe in the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism? He said, why do you ask? I said, because they're not the same. I said, the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism is a counterfeit Jesus. He said, what makes you say that? So I read that statement from Father O'Brien. He said, that's crazy. That's not the way it is. I said, well, Roman Catholics don't believe that Jesus finished the work of salvation at the cross. And he said, well, why did he say it is finished on the cross? I said, that's a great question. And that's exactly what he said. And I said, that Greek word is tetelestai, and it means paid in full. It means that all sins of all creatures, past, present, and future, were paid in full. Tetelestai, it's finished. He said, yeah, well, I don't, I don't believe everything that the Roman Catholic Church teaches. I said, did you know that to be saved, you have to believe in this counterfeit Christ plus six other things? He said, yeah, I've never believed that. I said, then why are you Roman Catholic? So we had a really good conversation after that. False teachers always attack Christ. Look at what the Catechism of the Catholic Church has to say about Mary, whom they call the mother of God. Now, if she was the mother of God, she would have to precede God. She did not. She was actually the mother of Jesus Christ's humanity. So here's what the Catechism says in uh, number 494. It says, at the announcement that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High, without knowing man, that means without sexual intercourse, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary responded with the obedience of faith, certain that with God nothing will be impossible. She wasn't certain of that at all. That was something that the angels said. She was quizzing about it. How can I do this without ever being with a man, and the angel said, nothing will be impossible with God. She said, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Thus, giving her consent to God's word, Mary becomes the mother of Jesus, espousing the divine will for salvation wholeheartedly without a single sin. The Roman Catholics believe that Mary was sinless. They also believe that Mary was ever virgin, even though after she gave birth to Jesus, she had six kids. Without a single sin to restrain her, she gave herself entirely to the person and to the work of her son. 
and she did so in order to serve the mystery of redemption with him and dependent on him by God's grace. Roman Catholics actually believe that Mary is sinless, lived a sinless life, was bodily assumed into heaven. That's called the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. And they believe that she is the co-redemptress, that she and Jesus Christ are the ones who redeem us from the slave market of sin. That is completely false, but that's what Roman Catholics believe. But if you quiz Roman Catholics about it, they probably don't even know. If you ask them what the doctrine of Immaculate Conception is, and I've asked this a hundred times, thousands of times to Catholics, they will tell you that they believe that the doctrine of Immaculate Conception is that Mary had a virgin birth. That is not what it is. So, you know, it, it's so funny how you can study the discipline, the, the book of your own discipline, and then not even know what it says. Here's the final thing on the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 494. As St. Irenaeus says, being obedient, Mary became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. There's the co-redemptorist idea. Hence, not a few of the early fathers gladly assert the knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. What the virgin Eve bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened by her faith. Comparing her with Eve, they call Mary the mother of the living and frequently claim death through Eve and life through Mary. As the sinless co-redeemer, equal to her son in every way. And of course, this is completely false. What is the discipline's source of truth? Roman Catholics use their own version of the Bible, sometimes called the Douay-Rheims version, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So they have two documents that they study from. And just common sense tells you that if you're studying from two documents instead of one, your focus is diluted. They add books to the Bible called the Apocrypha, which is a non-canonical collection of documents that are outside of the accepted canon of Scripture. For a book to be considered canonical, it has to pass tests that were developed actually by an unbeliever, Josephus. And none of these books pass the test of canonicity. Among these works are 1st and 2nd Maccabees, 1st and 2nd Ezra, Ecclesiasticus, Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, and Sirach, plus additions to the Old Testament books of Daniel and Esther. And since these, since contradict each other, almost in direct opposition. It confuses Roman Catholics. That's Satan's strategy, confusion. Most priests of my era encouraged us not to read the Bible. It will only confuse you. As a matter of fact, I took six years of Latin in preparation to be a priest because I wanted to understand what was being said in the Mass. And at the time, that I was coming along, the Mass was said in Latin. And I had, I'm sitting there the whole time having no idea what they're saying, and it bothered me. So I decided to take Latin so that I could understand what was being said. So when I did read the Bible, finally, 
the effect was exactly the opposite of what the priests were saying. It was absolutely crystal clear. Roman Catholics believe the Pope is infallible in the matter of doctrine. That means he cannot make a mistake when he creates a doctrine. My cousin almost fell off the chair when I told him that. He had no idea, and he's been a Roman Catholic for 50, 55 years. Here's the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 891 in part. I had to spare you some of this. When the church, through the supreme magisterium, and that's the popes and the bishops, All right, back to it. So the Catechism of the Church 891 in part says, through its supreme magisterium, the Pope and the bishops, proposes a doctrine for belief as being divinely revealed and as the teaching of Christ, the definitions must be adhered to with the obedience of faith. The infall- this infallibility of the Pope extends as far as the deposit of divine revelation Itself, But the Bible says no man is infallible. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no creature who's righteous, not even one. So these two disciplines are saying the exact opposite thing. Well, if the Bible says there's no one righteous and the catechism says that the Pope is infallible, it's easy to see that those two things are in opposition. What does the discipline say it takes to be saved? Let's look at the salvation claims of Roman Catholicism. One of them is extra ecclesiam nulla salis. You like my pronunciation of that? That's, you know, six years of Latin. You like that? That's pretty good, huh? This Latin expression inside the Roman Catholic Church, there is no salvation. That is completely false. Roman Catholicism's perversion of God's gospel message is a direct attack on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. We still good? According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the following six requirements have been added to the gospel message as necessary for Catholics to be saved. The first is baptism. This is CCC 1256 in part. The Roman Catholic Church finds the reason for this possibility in the universal saving will of God and the necessity of baptism for salvation. Keeping the sacraments, CCC 1129 in part. The Roman Catholic Church affirms that for believers, the sacraments of the new covenant are necessary for salvation. Uh, Next, good works. In this way, good works, they attain their own salvation. You see what that's saying? It's saying that Roman Catholics can earn their own salvation. That's a works-based approach to righteousness. Can't do it. And at the same time, cooperated in saving their brothers 
in the unity of the mystical body. Roman Catholics believe that you can pray for the dead and help them with their, their situation as well. The sacrifice of the Mass is added. Uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church 2180 in part. The precept of the Church specifies the law of the Lord more precisely on Sundays and other holy days of obligation. The faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. Then there's penance. When you commit sins, you go to a priest, you confess your sins to the priest, and he gives you a punishment, even though Jesus Christ paid for all your sins at the cross. It says this in CCC 980, the sacrament of penance is necessary for salvation for those who have fallen after baptism. Those who have sinned after baptism is what that means. Just as baptism is necessary for salvation for those who have not yet been reborn. And then the other addition, keeping the law, CCC 2068 in part. The Council of Trent teaches that the Ten Commandments are obligatory for Christians and that the justified man is still bound to keep them so that all men may attain salvation through faith, baptism, and observance of the commandments. All right, so you have to believe in the counterfeit Jesus plus add six other things to be saved None of those things will save you. Baptism, not baptism, not the sacraments, not good works, not the mass, not penance, not keeping the law. None of those things will save you. Believing in a counterfeit Jesus will not save you. 1,300,000 Roman Catholics are condemned by these lies. A works-based approach to salvation, a do-it-yourself salvation, promoted by all religions. And if you want to know anything about religion, this is the, 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 the one thing that is the same in every one of them. It's a works-based religion. You have to do things to please God to earn your salvation. Sins doers to the lake of fire for all eternity. People who choose the I have to do path reject the what Jesus has done for me path to salvation. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says you don't have to work to be saved. If salvation is by grace, a free gift from God, and of course it is, it is no longer based on your works. Otherwise, grace is a free gift is no longer grace, meaning it is not free. Can't speak for you, but I'll take what Jesus has done. If you want to be free from the bondage of religion, you simply compare the religion's written truth to the Bible's written truth. And if one thing in the religion is false, the whole thing is false. Here's what James says in James chapter 2, verse 10. This is Jesus' half-brother. He says, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point of law has become guilty of breaking all of the law. James's ministry was to Jews who had become Christian who wanted to go back to the Mosaic law. And he made a really simple point. If you break the law, you're a convict. Don't be a spiritual convict. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll investigate another religion, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Take a five-minute break. Mm -hmm. Have you been praying and you still have no answer? Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, how can you escape the bondage of religion? How can you escape the bondage of religion? Well, faith is a gift from God, and you can choose how to express it. The way you express your faith in one area tends to show up in other areas of your life as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 reminds us, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you operate with a mindset of scarcity and giving, not trusting that the Lord will reward your bountiful uh, remi- will reward you bountifully for giving, that mindset probably shows up in other areas that are important in your life. Well, you can change your mind. Trust the Lord when you give and watch how he responds to your faith in him. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring, always insightful, and sometimes even funny <laughs> offering messages. <laughs> well, you took the clicker. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Barah Ministries because at Barah Ministries, we're here to listen to the truth. But we're here to do more than that. We're here to communicate the truth. We're here to help people stay in, stay in the right lane, stay in the lane of God, I should say. And I think we must have some bad drivers in this congregation because <laughs> this is maybe me, and it might be just me ranting a little bit about traffic in general, but I think it applies because... You know, we've been learning about false teachers, and I think one of the worst false teachers is traffic. You, you learned how to drive. You, if you learn how to drive, there's all kinds of rules and ways you, should, ways you should drive. But if you go in traffic, it's complete opposite. You see people swerving out of their lane because they're going to miss their turn. Or you see people not using signals. Like, how hard is it to use a signal, you know? And then you got people that are just stuck on their phone, Snapchatting or something at a light, and then they don't go. <laughs> See, I knew we had some bad drivers in here. But you think about it, you know, the people that swerve out of the lane, they don't know where they're going. Just stay in that lane, go up and do a proper turnaround. That's like people in a congregation. You know, you're here, you're in a lane, don't swerve out of here, give it some time. Because you know you're in the right place, this is a place of truth. And you think about people that don't use their signals, it's really easy. You know, you're in the right lane, you're already lined up where you need to be. Now communicate to the people around you. What are you going to do? Are you going to turn left, turn right? It's like people in a congregation, if you're here and you're here for a while and you're in the right lane, don't just leave, you know, without signaling. It's one of those things where, hey, let us know what's going on in your head. Like, let us talk to you. Don't just disappear and turn without using your signal. And then you got people that don't go. You're in traffic. You decided to be there. That's your first objective, not being on your phone, not doing makeup, not eating. I saw a guy the other day, he was eating a bowl of cereal. He was like <laughs> driving, with his, driving with his knee on the wheel. He had a bowl of cereal. He must have been late. But that's the kind of thing, you know, when you're here, let's focus on Christ. You know, let's focus on truth. And that's what one of the objectives of Barah Ministries is to communicate the truth. And we even see that in the Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to say, not just what Denny has to say. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. As a result of being equipped, knowing how to drive, being saved, knowing what to do in Christ, we are no longer to be immature ones like children tossed back and forth by waves and carried around in circles by every wind and cunning teacher 
by crafty trickery of men and their deceitful scheming. Here's the kicker. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in unconditional love. That's not always easy. What do we use? We, we use one, the one-hand signal to people when they're doing something in traffic. That's not speaking truth in unconditional love, is it? <laughs> we are to grow up in all the aspects into one who is the head of the body, even the Christ. So speaking the truth in unconditional love, that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what we do at Barah Ministries, and that's what your giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure does. It supports us communicating the truth. And now guests, we just want your time. We don't want you to give your treasure because you're just coming here. We're not asking for your money, but everybody else, I am asking for your money. <laughs> but more than that, your time, your talent, and your treasure, you know. Everybody has a gift, and we're here to allow that gift to be used. So use your gift, get off your butt, use your signals, don't swerve in traffic, and, you know, let's go. Let's go right now by giving to Christ and giving to Barah Ministries. So thank you very much. today's Bible lesson, how can you escape the bondage of religion? How can you escape the bondage of religion? Well, if you want to escape the bondage of religion, simply compare the doctrines of the religion to the doctrines of the Bible on three simple points. The first point is, what is the discipline, who does the discipline say Jesus Christ is? Second, what is the discipline's source of truth? And then third, what does the discipline say it takes to be saved? So the next group we're going to look at is the Jehovah's Witnesses. And as you know, I have family members who are Jehovah's Witnesses. So I've had quite a bit of exposure to this discipline and to their thoughts about it and their evangelism attempts with me. Uh, They're extremely worried for my salvation. So, in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, called the New World Translation, John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was like a God. All right, here's what it says in the Christian Bible. 
John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, not a beginning, because God has no beginning and no ending, was the word, the Greek words, ho logos. Ho logos is a reference to God the Son, who we call the Lord. And the word, ho logos, God the Son, the Lord, was with God the Father. And the word, ho logos, God the Son, the Lord, was God. In other words, the Lord is deity. There's one God and three separate and distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what this verse is saying is that God the Son is God. He's not like a God. Now, the Jehovah's Witness Bible has changed that recently because they, got, they were under a lot of criticism for that, and they removed it, but that was uh, in their Bible at a time. Anytime the truth changes, you know it's not the truth because the truth doesn't change. Easy comparison. Jesus is like a God or Jesus is God. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is a created being. It's pretty tough to be created and to be the creator. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, Jesus Christ is the creator. He is the Lord, God the Son, and Jesus, man, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. Here's what John chapter 1 verse 3 says. All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So it would be very difficult for him to be the creator and then to create himself. If Jesus Christ is a created being, he is lesser than God the Father and lesser than God the Holy Spirit, and that is completely false. He is their equal in every way. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he said it, and this was one of the things that he was regularly uh, uh, attacked for and had stones thrown at him for up in Jerusalem. John 10.3, he says, I and the Father are one. That Greek word one means the exact same in essence, deity. So according to an article by Justin Taylor, author of the 11 beliefs you should know about Jehovah's Witnesses when they knock at the door, easy to pull that up on Google. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah as the archangel Michael before the physical world existed and he is lesser, though a mighty God. There it is. All attacks, always on Jesus, always dimin uh, diminishing Jesus. And family members who are Jehovah's Witnesses have confirmed for me that this is the belief of the discipline. Well, what's the discipline source of truth? Jehovah's Witnesses study their version of the Bible, the New World Translation, and are directed to study their Bible using Watchtower Society publications. And if you've ever been to an airport, you'll see JW.org. You'll see people sitting there handing out free these Watchtower Society tracts. Or they'll come to your door and do that. And that, that. I don't see that much in Arizona. But all the time in Chicago when I lived there, the Jehovah's Witnesses were com coming by evangelizing. They're very... Uh, they're very persistent. They dress really well. Really nice people. 
And I think I've told you the story of how I invited one into my house to have a dueling Bible session because he said there were contradictions in the Bible and I ended up throwing him out of the house when I was less than gracious. So what they study is their version of the Bible with literature created by men. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 reminds us all Scripture is God-breathed into the writers of Scripture. Scripture is not man-breathed. And so listening to what men have to say about God is testy at best. Because, see, here, here's the thing. One of the things I love about Barah Ministries is you guys don't regard me at all. This isn't some place where everybody's saying, oh, man, this is the pastor. He's so great. Oh, our pastor is so amazing. They, this, is, this place is amazing because I take you into the Bible and I show you what's there. And I'm not interpreting it because the New Testament is written in Koine Greek and I can read and write Koine Greek. I have taken Koine Greek. Every expression in the language has one and only one interpretation. There's nothing to interpret. You go read it, you see what it says, and you say it. And it's that simple. And that's why you'll see parentheses and things on Bible verses just clarifying from other translations exactly what the Greek is saying. And it's precise. It's absolutely precise. And that's what you need. You need truth. You don't need a guy's opinion about what God is saying. Because God is crystal clear. And he is amazingly simple. So... Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that they believe the Bible is inspired by God, yet their beliefs are inconsistent with the Word of God. Jehovah's Witnesses reject the idea of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, that there's one God and three separate and distinct persons, and they reject that because the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible. Sad to say, the term Jehovah's Witnesses is not in the Bible either. Well, does that mean they don't exist? Oh, the Gap Band checks in. That dropped the bomb, huh? Hey, Mormon isn't in the Bible either. Does that mean the Mormons don't exist? So that's pretty ridiculous thinking when you really think about it because there are passage after passage after passage after passage after passage that indicates that there's one God and three divine persons. As early as Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. In the New Testament, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are a hundred different passages in the Bible that indicate that there is a triune Godhead. And just because the word doesn't appear there, doesn't mean that it's not an accurate idea. Jehovah's Witnesses believe the Holy Spirit is not a person. So they deny his deity, and they think of him as Jehovah's impersonal and active force in the world. They refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this in the New American Standard Translation, which is the translation of the Bible we use because it's closest to the original Greek. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is Jehovah Elohim. That's God the Son, the Lord. Genesis 1-2, the earth became formless and void, 
and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and God the Holy Spirit was moving over the surface of the waters. Here's what the Jehovah's Witness Bible says in those same two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So far, so good. Genesis 1-2, Now the earth proved to be formless and waste, and there was darkness upon the surface of the watery deep, and God's active force was moving to and fro over the, sources, over the source of the waters. So you see that they have uh, denied that God the Holy Spirit is actually a person and that he was doing this work as a person. They say he's doing this work as an active force. False. Now the earth, pro- uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that only 144,000 anointed people will go to heaven. And when I was making my transition from Roman Catholicism to systematic theology, I made a tour of churches. And one of the churches, of course, was the Jehovah's Witnesses because I had family members there. And one of the funniest things is to listen to a Jehovah's Witness talk about these 144,000 people. Oh, when, when you meet one of them, you just know... And they speak about them with such reverence. And they're anointed. And, and they're going to go to heaven. And the rest of us peons will be here on the earth. What they're referring to is the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that will be God's evangelism agency during the next age in divine history, which is the tribulation. That is when the, the Jews will finally figure out that Jesus Christ indeed is their Messiah. And there will be 144,000 rabbis who will be the evangelism force for God during that period of time, which is the worst period of time in divine history. So the Bible does not say that 144,000 anointed people will go to heaven. The Bible says whosoever will go to heaven. God the Father loved the world so much that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Well, what does the discipline of the Jehovah's Witnesses say that it takes to be saved? Jehovah's Witnesses teach that salvation is possible only through Christ's ransom sacrifice, and that individuals cannot be saved until they repent of their sins and call on the name of Jehovah. Repent is always misused. What repent is is to have a change of mind about something. It has no connection to sin whatsoever. And so everybody, you know, here here Jesus goes to the cross and pays for all our sins, past, present, and future. Why did he do that? Because we can't do it. If we could pay for our sins, we'd probably pay for our own. That's the way we are. We're self-sufficient people. But he paid for our sins so that he would repair the breach between God and man that was caused by sin. And now, once you believe in Christ, you're going to continue to sin. And what you will hear over and over from legalists is, you got to repent of your sins. No, you don't. Repent is change your mind about Christ when you're an unbeliever. That's what it means. And it's not hard. Investigate it. And then ask yourself, Why are legalists always trying to put that burden of bondage back on us? Galatians 5.1, Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, 
Keep on standing fast in the freedom and don't ever again be entangled in the yoke of slavery. Yet religion wants to put the burden back on us. You got to change. You got to do stuff to impress God. You got to work to be saved. You can lose your salvation. All false. It's false. It's too much work. God always does things that work. He is not going to let you screw up what he wants you to have. He's not. So our choice is really simple. But religion likes making it complicated. Salvation is described as a free gift from God. Good so far? But here's the left turn but it's said to be unattainable without good works that are prompted by faith. What they've done there is distort what James says in his epistle, which is faith without works is meaningless. Problem is, James wasn't talking to unbelievers. He was talking to believers. He was saying, you believe in Christ and you're sitting on your butt? Something's wrong there. So here is something from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, uh, one of their publications, Should You Believe in the Trinity? It says, Jesus, no more and no less than a perfect human, became a ransom that compensated exactly for what Adam lost, the right to perfect human life on earth. The perfect human life of Jesus was the corresponding ransom required by divine justice. No more, no less. A basic principle of even human justice is that the price paid should fit the wrong committed. So the ransom, to be truly in line with God's justice, had to be strictly an equivalent, a perfect human, the last Adam. Thus, when God sent Jesus to earth as the ransom, and when, when they say God, they mean Jehovah because they think Je- that God only has one name, Jehovah, which is false. Thus, when God sent Jesus to earth as the ransom, he made Jesus to be what would satisfy justice. Not an incarnation, false. Not a God-man, false. Jesus Christ is 100% God as the Lord, 100% man as Jesus. He is the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, but a perfect man lower than the angels. There it is again, always seeking to diminish Jesus Christ. In every religion, Jesus is demeaned and downgraded to someone less than God. Works-based salvation is not salvation. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says you can't work for salvation. It says now to the one who works for salvation, his wage for his work, is not credited to his account as a favor from the grace of God, but his wage is credited as what is due for the work. If you want to be free from religion's mighty grip, you have to compare Bible doctrines to religious doctrines, in writing, side by side. If you do that, you will see the lie. But don't spend too much time doing it, though, because it is a complete waste of time, and it is absolutely painful to go through. Convoluted, confusing, contradictory, it'll drive you absolutely crazy. But I wanted to give you a dose of it, and what I want you to take from this is really simple. 
you want to know the difference between what the Bible has to say and what religion has to say. There are three questions you have to answer, and you answer it by going to those doctrines, Bible doctrines and religious doctrines, in writing, and you compare them side by side. You don't listen to people's opinions. You don't make stuff up. You don't think about what old pastor so-and-so said to you 15 years ago. Just go look at the do- doctrines. And, and what, what this is equivalent of is looking at your contract that you have with Visa, if you have a Visa card. You can think whatever you want to about what Visa is going to do for you. But if you really want to know what they're going to do for you, go look at the contract. Because they have a contract in writing, and when you sign it, you agree to everything that's in that contract. When you sign up for a religion, you sign up for every doctrine that is part of that religion. And you could say, well, I don't believe this and I don't believe that. When you say that, you just said that the religion is false. Because... And you pay 25, 25 that, that's nice, 27.9. And here's the thing. So on our website, there's a part that says, what do you believe? And so when you go to any Christian church's website, they have a, a section, what do we believe? Well, I just put an image of the Bible on there, and at the top I said, everything in here. And one of our former deacons was quite upset about that because he didn't think that was precise enough. That's as precise as it gets. So, yeah, we can list all the doctrines that we believe. We believe every single thing in here is true, inerrant, without contradiction, that this is the authority for everything else. Now, we're either right about it or we're wrong. I'm betting my life on it. How about you? I'm not betting my opinion on it. I've had an I've, I've been to that puppet show. I've seen the strings. Well, the closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone anywhere who is either undecided or confused about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth, your creator, loves you unconditionally that is, with no conditions, and he wants a relationship with you. So here's the question that demands reflection. Are you a sinner or a saint? According to the Bible, all of us are born sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Unfortunately, being a sinner has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, The payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and eventually physical death. Being a sinner, 
is bad news, especially if you die a sinner. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says this, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life at the great white throne judgment of unbelievers, and that will be the case for all of the unbelievers, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you leave this life as a sinner, you'll regret it for all eternity. The Bible is a guide for sinners, and it contains good news. If you're a sinner, which means you're spiritually dead, and you're still breathing, you can choose to become a saint. And by the way, most believers in Christ think they're sinners. They're that uninformed. But they're not. They're saints. God the Father has a plan for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this. God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love for all mankind in that while we were sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly, unbelievers, enemies of God the Father, he sent his Son, the Christ, to die a sacrificial death for all of us. John chapter 3, verse 16 reiterates this amazing and compassionate fact. God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born Son, the God-man, the Lord, Jesus, the Christ, 100% God and 100% man and one person, to be crucified on a cross that a whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Instead, he shall have the resurrection life, eternal life. What does that mean exactly? That means that when Adam sinned, he created a breach between God and man. And there was nothing man could do to fix the breach. God the Father was mad, and he was going to impose his wrath on sin. But instead of doing that, in compassion, he sent his son to die, to pay for the sins of all mankind, so that the relationship between God and man could be restored. That is nothing short of amazing, because there isn't a single one of us who has kids who would sacrifice one of our children, no matter what we thought of them to pay for the sins of all men. <laughs> Deacon Duddy's back there going, I don't know. Yeah, me too. The Lord Jesus Christ has his arms wide open for you right this minute. He's waiting to welcome you and all sinners into a relationship with himself. In John chapter 6, verse 37, the Lord says this, The ones who come to me to believe in me, I will certainly not cast out into the outer darkness the lake of fire. In fact, sinners don't even have to look for the Lord because he is always looking for them. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7 say this, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Luke fifteen six. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Luke fifteen seven. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, changing his mind about having a relationship with Christ, than over 99 righteous persons, believers in Christ, the other sheep, who need no repentance. 
There are a few things you need to know about God's plan to transform sinners into saints. First, you can't work to be a saved saint. God does the work for you. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, in works-based righteousness, but according to his mercy. That's the choice to, give sinner, to not give sinners what they deserve by the washing of regeneration, and through renewing by God the Holy Spirit. Second, to be a saint instead of a sinner, you need to have a change of mind. And the Bible calls this repentance. And it has nothing to do with your sins, as legalists claim. Repent means to change your mind about your desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, moving from having no desire to have an immediate desire to have a relationship with him. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31 say this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of your ignorance, God the Father is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Acts 17, 31. Because God the Father has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the God-man, Jesus Christ, whom the Father has appointed, having furnished proof that he is God to all men, by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Finally, you need to acknowledge the truths in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. So how does God move you from sinner to saint? John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Whosoever received him, to them the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. You can make a one-time decision right this second that lasts forever. It doesn't take a lot of contemplation. You can just make a choice right now, and you are saved, and then you can spend the rest of your life figuring out exactly what you just did. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God. And, you know, you notice, you'll notice, saved by God. It dawned on me this week that that is in the uh, passive voice, that this is God acting on us. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. God the Father will direct his wrath to all those who are spiritually dead. Why? Because they've decided that they don't want to take Jesus Christ's work of taking the wrath of God the Father. They want to take it themselves, and he will oblige. The good news is this. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved by God. Once again, the passive voice. Saint. As a reminder, once you have salvation, you cannot lose it. 
An immutable God who never changes his mind saves you once and for all time. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says this, Therefore the Lord Jesus Christ is able to save forever through his divine power, omnipotence, those who draw near to God the Father through believing in the Christ. Since the Lord Jesus Christ always lives to make intercession for those who draw near. Or John chapter 10, verse 28. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, there's a consequence for rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is an eternal fate that none of us would wish for our worst enemies. Mark chapter 9, verses 43 and 44 warn, If your hand or anything causes you to stumble, that means to reject a relationship with Christ. Cut it off. You should enter eternal life crippled rather than go into hell into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not turn, where the worm, a nagging conscience, does not die. And that's one of the things that's different between believers in Christ and unbelievers. When we get to heaven, no more sorrow, no more tears, conscience wiped. In the lake of fire, conscience not wiped. And so people who go to the lake of fire will be thinking for the rest of eternity about all the times when they were offered the salvation of the gospel message and they rejected it. That is a fate worse than being burned in an unquenchable fire in the lake of fire. So take a moment out of your busy life and heed the suggestion of Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. It says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved by God. Romans 10.10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God. Once you believe in Christ, absolute righteousness is credited to your account as your admission ticket to heaven. And with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. Believe now, and you'll become a saint. There's no time to waste. Well, let's close with music. False teachers are afraid to make the promise the Lord makes in John chapter 10, verse 28. I give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, when believers in Christ close their eyes in this life, they can look forward to being face-to-face with the Lord, and we can't wait. As Don Moen sings, I want to be where you are, Lord. Place forever. 
Take me to the place where you are Cause I just want to be with you I want to be where you are Dwelling in your presence Feasting at your table And surrounded by your glory In your presence That's where I always want to be I just want to be I just want to be with you I just want to be where you are Dwelling daily in your presence Dwelling daily in your presence I don't want to worship from afar Draw me near Draw me near to where you strength and my song and when I'm in your presence though I'm weak you're always strong I just want to be where you are in your dwelling place forever in your dwelling place forever take me to the place to the place where you I just want to be I just want to be with you I just want to be I just want to be with you Oh God That's our prayer We want to be where you are Dwelling in your presence, feasting at your table, and surrounded by your glory. Oh, that's our prayer, God. We want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence, feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory, surrounded by your glory. just want to be I just want to be with you make it your prayer tonight I just want to be I just want to be Almighty God and Father, thank you for exposing the lies of religion. Thank you for giving us a way to discern the truth. Thank you for the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. As we go forth into the week, open our spiritual eyes to the deception. 
Help us to have the Lord's compassion for those who are deceived. Help us to act as a mouthpiece for God the Holy Spirit to the religious, perhaps leading them to a relationship with your saving son. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Uh, Five minutes from now, we'll start the discussion of the lesson and the prayer circle. It's a good chance for you to get any of your questions answered. Um, during the week, if you have biblical questions, you can send a note to ask the pastor. Uh, you can ask the pastor at pastor at baradministries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God, and keep on coming, keep on watching, and keep on listening. Thanks for being here. Thank <laughs> you.